I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. The one that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Morning, everyone. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Today we're going to have a conversation about this article that came out in Builder Magazine by John McManus. Really good article. The title of it is, This is Personal for Home Builders, Black Lives Matter. Yes, we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter. Please do not turn this off. Please please open your mind and listen. Uh, We're going to have an honest conversation of our opinions and our experiences So it's only 15 minutes, just listen in. So Jason, today I wanted to bring this up particularly because this article was really good. And it, for me, it was a huge step because in our industry, I've noticed throughout this whole thing, since this thing kind of started to come to the surface uh, as of late, our industry has been noticeably silent about the matter. Uh, I think there was a few mentions from architecture firms that I've seen, um, but a lot of it was more surface kind of PR stuff that we've mentioned before in previous episodes. There's a couple companies that made some strong commitments as far as how they're going to address it in the, through their uh, organization, making donations and trying to target uh, certain communities and schools um, from disadvantaged communities to try and bridge that gap and uh, educate and and bring people along through into the industry. But largely, it's been pretty quiet. I don't think I've seen any home builders say anything about this this, uh, situation. So I wanted to bring this up because this 
really stood out to me from such a large magazine to to take such a firm stance and to to basically highlight that this story talks about an instance where John McManus is talking with a home builder CEO who recently had gone to a a large CEO gathering of of home builders and uh, everyone sort of talked about business as usual and this particular CEO decided to address the issue and uh, bring it up in some sense. So it was really a strong uh, article. I highly suggest you guys check it out. I'll put the link in our show notes, but just wanted to talk about this a little bit. Um, Jason, from your experience, have you, one, have you seen anybody talk about this issue? And then two, uh, has this issue sort of hit your shores at work or in run-ins in the, in the industry? Yeah, um, I got to be honest, I haven't personally been exposed to it in, in industry or in discussions here um, or, or in our company. And I may be semi-sheltered just because, you know, I've been part of what was a private company for so long in my career. We have, you know, at our dance studio, my wife's partner is black. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been sensitive and not in a bad way or a good way, but just trying to understand or at least you know, have a discussion with him and, and, and share some different things back and forth about, you know, how this is affecting him and, um, that culture, because clearly I'm not, you know, I'm not black. Um, so I don't have that. I may be Mexican and I may be white, but I'm not black. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't face the same types of things, but, uh, in my, in our company here, no, I haven't seen it. Um, and I've never been in any discussions with home builders of any sort where, you know, something like that would come up or any, you know, real, I want to say real racial things would come up. I, I think what a lot of people are saying these days is, you know, the jokes and stuff are part of that. I'm not going to lie to you. The jokes have been around forever. And I think we all do them in different regards and, you know, whether it's Mexican jokes or white people jokes or black people joke, whatever, I don't care. It's just there. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that does have to stop. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but, um, and, and part of the reason, you know, you and I were kind of rapping about this before, you know, the show started because it's a very touchy subject, mm-hmm. you know, and for me, you know, it, it sounds goofy, but like, I, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing I shared with our partner because I am empathetic and sympathetic in a lot of ways. I can't say a hundred percent because again, I don't know. Um, and I don't know what to do. You know, it feels like sometimes people want me to tell them I'm sorry for the, the stuff that I have going on, but then I also don't think that that's the answer, but then w- what do you do? And, and I, you know, and, and maybe part of the reason why I haven't been exposed to a lot of this in other situations is because people know I probably wouldn't stand for. Um, and so maybe they don't have those conversations around me. Um, or maybe I've just been lucky. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. But so, you know, long, long way about, no, I haven't been exposed to it specifically uh, in industry or, you know, in, uh, in our company here. So I guess that's a lucky thing. Yeah. Um, but, um, and we're pretty diverse in our companies. I'll be honest with you. Not a lot of, not a lot of black like uh, associates, um, but a, a lot of culture, you know what I mean? In, in every way and different capacities. Mm-hmm. So, um, and different wage scales all yes. over the place too. So, uh, we have, you know, pretty decent diversity. Yeah. Um, could it be better? Yeah. But I don't want to make it better for the sake of making it more diverse mm-hmm. just, just for the cause. But, um, so anyway, long, long roundabout answer to your question. Yeah. I think, um, as you mentioned, feels like you have to apologize. I think I don't think that's the case is that people are expecting an apology per se. But there's just been like this, don't talk about it, we have to move forward from here. But that's not acknowledging 
And I think that's what people want is an acknowledgement because there hasn't been an acknowledgement that issues have happened. And because of what has happened, there is a systemic problem. And if you just try to ignore what has happened in the past, you don't know how it has bored its way into our system. Um, one of the largest problems is education. Um, and there's just this very difficult bridge to break down. And a lot of this kind of came about, and this has to do with our industry, during the 19, what was it, 19, late 1930s with the New Deal from uh, President Roosevelt, which basically birthed the home building industry. And it was uh, a commitment to develop homes and to try and get all families into homes. But the problem with that is the loan industry and uh, housing markets ended up basically, and there was actual covenants. And I wanted to, I was trying to get Zach to, to mention this in our previous call, but he probably never saw it. But there are actual titles that have certain covenants and rules in them that still say today that a black person cannot buy this property. Um, they've tried to weed a lot of those out, but um, okay. there you can still find some of those. Uh, but what happened was that there was home builders that actually had in their rules that you cannot have black people live in this house. I believe Levittown was one of them. And what happened is that loan companies ended up doing something called redlining, which they, uh, if you've heard of it, they literally boxed out these areas. Borders. Yep. Yeah, borders. borders. Yep. And people from those communities did not get good loans and could not move into these and also could not move into these um, development homes by law. So if you cannot move up, then you're stuck in these areas which property values are going down. And then throughout history, a lot of things happen where programs were cut and subsequently just harmed those areas further. And they start okay. to spiral down in crime and drugs and all this other stuff. And you're stuck there and you can't move out. And for those that were able to get those homes, they were able to sell those homes and move up and gather more and more wealth. And that family continued to move on this upward trend while others were able were moving downward. So that's I, historically. And that's and the, hate, that's one thing that people are not acknowledging. Well, see, I think so. Here's 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 something that's huge for me, mm -hmm. because this whole time that I feel like I said, basically like I'm in a state of flux, like you don't like I don't know how to help. I don't know how to do this type of things or whatever. The conversations that I've had up to this point with people regarding this subject, and literally I'm saying the same thing to all of them. Like, what do I do? Yeah. You know what I mean? I want you, I want you to know that I support you. I want someone to know, like if somebody was coming, as far as I'm concerned, they're throwing stones at me too, if I'm standing side by side with you. You follow me? Yeah. We don't know what to do, but you use an example like that. And you're like, for sake, like if that's literally in the writing, yeah. like that can't be there anymore. How, so what do we do to create a scenario where we're literally going to people and saying this right here yeah. is the problem, part of the problem, but is the problem not, you need to understand, you need to recognize, you need to do this and this. Well, you show me that. And I'm like, I understand. Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? And I think maybe that's a massive gap. Although we want this in the discussion and we want to have this as part of the discussion, but what needs to be part of the discussion? Because I feel, and this is media and everything else, they skirt it and change it and make it take a different message to maybe where I can't get the info that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So I really don't know how to do anything. So ultimately what that does is it stymies it back down, right? Because people get frustrated. They don't know what to do. Yeah. So how do we look at stuff and say, this needs to be reformed. This needs to be reformed. And this needs to be reformed. You show me in black and white that something says a black person cannot own this property. Mm -hmm. Fuck you. Yeah. 
if they've got money, it's the same greenback that everybody else has. I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is, we live in a capitalistic world for a reason. You know what I'm saying? So how do we, how do we identify those things? Because I think if somebody literally in the five or six conversations I've had since this thing's been going on, nobody has once said that or nobody has once taken something and said, this right here is part of the problem. Yeah. Do you understand where I'm saying? Because that, that helps immensely. And how do you look at that and not say, yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's the ones that you can find where it was still there. They're not, they're probably largely not adhered to. Very few and far between. I'm yeah. sure too. And they're yeah. probably not adhered to, but a culture has emerged because of it where people mm-hmm. look at people that don't look at like them as an outsider. Um, and they, they're not welcome per se, or it just starts to pervade in, in a lot of uh, other ways. So that's why it's hard to say what to do uh, specifically. And I think the first step is an acknowledgement of what exists. And then we can get in a room and figure out, okay, now how do we address this? Once you start to acknowledge, then there's a level of empathy that occurs and a willingness to open your mind and see beyond Mm -hmm. just the right or the left and Mm -hmm. start to say, okay, I understand now that there's this problem. Now let's see how we can do that. We can adjust the school system so that we can have a more level playing field of education throughout the entire country rather than if your community makes more money than this community. Maybe there's a baseline of education level or maybe there's a certain uh, way that we can sort of bridge the gap and get resources to certain communities to bring them up a little bit more and help expedite that. And that takes a level of thinking beyond your political views and having a willingness to to vote for something that may not be in your immediate interest, but it's going to bring up another community which will decrease crime in another way. Well, I, I think we, I think we all at this point got to agree that politics are f-ed at this point. If you have been paying attention to anything that's been going on yeah. for the last seven months, you got to realize you cannot trust in any manner the political system. Yeah, you can't do that, and it. And the ignorant people, I'm saying that, are going to stay on their very far left or their very far right. Mm-hmm. They're going to be that dumb and stupid. And those are probably the same. And, and that's truly how I believe about that. It's mm-hmm. dumb or stupid, one or the other, right? <laughs> and you have to realize that there's somewhere in the middle. Now, you know, I'm excited about this because, you know, you you stated something to me that makes it very black and white. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think if you don't have things that are black and white to be able to go to people and say, would you agree that this is right or wrong and make them make a decision on a hard line fact, mm-hmm. there's no way you catch any ground these days because it's too easy to twist and manipulate things, right? Yeah. So if you had a, like three, four, five like concrete examples of, would we all agree it's not okay that, to say that a black person can't own this home mm-hmm. or it's not okay to say that a Chinese person can't own this home mm-hmm. because there's that too, right? I mean, yeah. your whole point is equality in, in whole. Yeah. So, and this is just giving it the fire for that, right? Yeah. So you look at those types of things and you say it from that perspective and that way we go and that's when we can start and not say we've got to change all these things, but let's start here. And then once we get this accomplished, we're cool. Okay. Stage B, you know what I mean? Stage yeah. C, stage D, you know, we keep moving forward as opposed to coming in with this huge ominous idea that just gets lost. And I feel like that's what's happening. And that's why somebody like myself, who's highly sympathetic and empathetic to the idea that I want everybody to have a good shot at whatever they want to create. Yeah. Not be given, yeah. but whatever they want to create. So that somebody used for me the example of the race, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, everybody's got the one mile run <laughs> yeah. or whatever it is, but this guy's being held back for 200 meters or, you know, I'm terrible with yeah. units. But he's being held back. Okay. That sucks. Now, 
if you give everybody the same race and you tell everybody right away, look, there's God given abilities. Let's not forget that. Mm -hmm. But you give everybody the same opportunity to work as hard as they possibly can to create whatever they want to create. Dude, I'm down 150%. Yeah. So that's what I want to try and cut to is all the crap about what you just have to understand. I would love to. Yeah. I really would. I'm a decently intelligent individual and I'm highly sympathetic and empathetic to individuals yeah. as long as it's something that we can point to to say that this is an opportunity that either A, you can create or you were held back by mm -hmm. and allow us to attack that. Yeah. So I would, I would love to see that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's tons. I don't of, know what exists. There's you know? tons of resources out there. I'll try to put a few in our show notes. Um, nothing comes to mind immediately to our industry. But um, I'll try to put a couple things in there. Um, but this is bigger than industry, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? We're talking about the, the BLM movement or whatever it is, yeah. which, you know, we're just talking about equality. Yeah. That's all we're talking about because I don't really want to say BLM, Black Lives Matter, what, equality, right? Let's just all agree that's what we're talking about, you know? Equity and equality. Um, yep. And we wanted, I wanted to mention this before we get out of here because this is sort of the, the direction that the article goes is it's more along the lines of representation in an executive capacity and, and of our industry as well. Because in this article, he references how this meeting of 50 CEOs and all the, the largest corporate housing companies and this one CEO actually said <laughs> a very poignant question that I think this whole thing is framed around and it's who of us would be here right now on this call if we had been born black. And I found that super fascinating in so many levels and there's so many layers to this conversation. Um, but I just wanted to touch on that part of it because I personally experienced it is very difficult to get ahead uh, for whatever reason. I, I'm not going to say anybody's racist or anything like that, but we know it's human nature to have a better relationship uh, with people that remind you of yourself. And if there's no one ever at the top that looks like you, then the, the chances of elevating are even slimmer. So no matter how well I do, a relationship with someone else can be much closer and they will give them the nod a lot of times. I've been involved with opportunities where people that were my peers, you know, we can do the same things. They were elevated to be the face of the company. While I made it clear that's what my intention was, where I wrote articles and asked to to sort of be able to have the company back me to get these articles published. And I was denied and said the company was trying to limit the amount of voices that were coming out of the company, although a lot of people were backing me and saying this is a really good article and kind of vouch for me the higher up uh, level denied it. Uh, so I ended up having to do it myself through like medium and other stuff like that. I've been in situations where I found out a peer's pay was like, when I was getting paid hourly was like $7 more than mine. And I asked for more and I got like a couple dollars increase, but I still knew in the back of my mind, there was still a $5 gap of hourly pay. And you just start to wonder all these things is like, why if I know and objectively, I can do the same amount of things, the same type of things, the same skill level as other people. Why is there this gap? And you start to just wonder. Let me let me ask you a question. I don't disagree that there's got to be some of that somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think you've seen it, too, like with, um, you know, the women's rights movements and those types of things as well. Right. Similar CEOs pay completely different, whatever the deal is. Yeah. But you can't use that across the board. No. Right. And so, and so what is important for me to say is, look, I've had 
I've worked harder than people. Uh, and I use sports as an analogy all the time, yeah. right? Cause it's really one of the cleanest things to do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I've worked harder than people. I've been there before them. I've been there after them. I've been in the gym longer than them. I've, you know, organized things to make us better, whatever the deal is. But sometimes I just wasn't better. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it sucked and it may have been a minute difference and I'm sitting here looking, but look at the body of work I've put together to do this. Yeah. I remember playing one sport when I was killing it and all of a sudden these two dudes just showed up that were six foot two, freaking 40 pounds more muscle than I was, faster than I was, couldn't read a play nearly as good as I was, but they were just better. You know what I mean? And, and you know, one of them was black, you know what I mean? Which is, which is fine because mm -hmm. I didn't see it that way. Cause I play, you know, that's the great thing about sports too. You have one common goal and everybody's there to get that common goal done. Mm -hmm. But there's been times when I just wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And even though I may have thought in my head that I did everything I could have, or that I should have been, or I'm just as good. There's things that, and reasons why I wasn't, you know, I can even use employment that I have. There's certain things that kept me in a private company from making certain dollars, even though I outperformed other people. Yeah that I just was never going to get there. And I could go fight the idea of it's not fair and it's not equal. It, yeah. Or I could leave and I could go try to do it somewhere else. You know what I mean? And, and I had the cost benefit way out that I had to decide on, you know yeah. what I mean? So I think one of the things I struggle with is I look at it and, and maybe because I don't have a full appreciation because I don't fully understand. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm, and I'm willing to, to say that as well. Where is that? Where is that difference? Where is it like, maybe like, you know, someone has to hear the hard truth of, you know what? You just weren't good enough. I'm not saying that was about you. Could have been, you know, who knows, right? But you just weren't good enough. And it has nothing to do with the color of your skin or whatever the deal is. Sometimes it may have everything to do with the color of your skin, but I think it would be a little bit more obvious. You know what I mean? To draw that, draw that, no, I'm saying to draw that hard line. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, I don't, I, I also don't want what I'm scared of and this is where I get in trouble. This is why a lot of times where I don't want to talk about these things, mm -hmm. but maybe you're going to have to come to the grips with the idea that you can't use that as an excuse for everything. Mm -hmm. And that's why I go back to, can we point to the, the, the specific things where we can all start and get on the same page and then work from there as opposed to this idea of, you know, everybody's being oppressed and everybody might be oppressed. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, but that's not the place to start. I don't think. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. and, and again, and, and like, I'm getting hot right now, you know what I mean? Cause it's uncomfortable because I feel like no matter what I say is going to be used against me. Yeah. But that's not my intention. No, you know what I'm no, I understand. But, um, the, an obstacle that I was referring to, is called impl implicit bias. Okay. Um, and that's that situation of it. Recognition. And I, it's a hundred percent. And I honestly yes. don't think any of these people are outright racist or anything, but it's just that implicit bias that gets in the way um to, it is well documented i agree with you and then 100%. A, a few things i want to mention is that although black people make up 13 percent of the population there is only i i often see this number of two percent like in a lot <laughs> of different situations irvine there's a population of two percent black people architects there's a population of two percent less i think it's two percent now hmm. and it's surprisingly of black women, there's less than 500 licensed black women in the United States. In total. In total, less than 500. Hmm. I think it's 430 something. And is that 2% <laughs> just like uh, some unwritten rules throwing <laughs> people a bone? Or it's really weird. Uh, yeah. But I think I, nobody wants things handed to them in any in any manner at all. Nobody wants so. that. Yeah. It just want people just want a fair shot and. Mm -hmm and some sort of representation. And, and as you mentioned, uh, a lot of people end up just leaving companies and starting their own. Like 
that's the only way that it seems to have worked. That's ultimately why I left. Uh, a lot of people, I think, do that. It's just there doesn't seem to be if there's no one at the top that shows that that there's a chance to do it. It just it starts to bear down on you. Just like this is never going to happen. So a lot of people end up leaving and starting their own companies. And, and that's where you see the executives that are um, of of different cultures or a lot of times, you know, they own their own companies. But anyway, I uh, want to wrap up. We went way over this time. <laughs> well, it sounds like we have a lot more to talk about still, though. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we'll come back at some other point in the future. But uh, any last comment before we go? No, I, I just would, you know, there, there's, there's some of us that really, really believe in the right people for the right job. Mm -hmm. And we want to see everybody have that opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. And what I've been talking with my, you know, my wife about, I was going to say my family, primarily my wife about a few, few friends and stuff like that is, you know, I would love to understand how to do that. You know what I mean? And like I said, you know, and I've heard some good examples, the conversation, someone makes a racial joke and nobody in those races around you just stand up and say, that's not the right thing to do. Like let's, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a good way to start, but I don't know if it's enough, you know? And, and I think the thing that I come back to with my wife all the time with this stuff is we're raising our kids, right? Mm -hmm to not stand for these types of things, because to be honest with you, I've lost hope in most of the generation that's currently in power in our generation. I think most of us, our views are already shaped and they're probably not going to change too much, but I think our ability to change the next generation, uh, especially while they're stuck at home with us these days all the time. And we are their culture completely right now, which is wrong, mm -hmm. but that's what it is. I think that's the only way that we're really going to see a positive and swift change in movement. That yep. doesn't help the, the statement right now. It doesn't help the state of the union right now. Mm -hmm. But if we pour into our kids and teach them, and this is, you know, this is not to take away from anything, but the belief that we're all God's children, like that's how everybody should be treated and move forward. You know what I mean? And, and train our kids, teach our kids properly. Yeah. Um, but the youth aren't the problem because for the most part, they run up to each other and high five and hug. And, and yep. you look at that density mix. It's just ridiculous. They don't see that. So it's a learned behavior, which we all have to understand. And I agree with that. Mm -hmm. So how do we just ensure that that learned behavior dies? Yeah, definitely. I think I, I don't think it's too late for people to change their minds. I think the first step is an acknowledgement. Second step is being willing to to put in a little effort to educate yourself. There's tons of resources just to familiar familiarize yourself with history and the current state of things, and that will then open your mind to to ch maybe change the way you vote on certain things and and in your community or your meeting community maybe how some of the money is moved uh, within your community maybe that'll change the way you vote on some of those things and that's the step that those are the steps that start to work and evolve things because a lot of it like i mentioned multiple times a lot of it has to do with education if you come out ill-equipped from the beginning it's extremely hard to catch up that's fair We'll leave it at that, but thank you for having this hard conversation. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to it at some point in the future. We should. We really should. All right, man. Thanks. This show is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star rating and a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps others find us 
and your support is the only way that this show grows. And don't forget to connect with us through our Facebook community, Instagram, and see the random thoughts and articles that we share on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for spending some time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.